So we have, I'm just going to light my candles here this morning as we start our conversation. The first week of Advent, we focused on the hope that we have. We looked at some verses. You may need to turn this fan off up here because I'm not sure this is going to blow very well or stay on very well, so thank you. We looked at the hope that uh, is, is for us, uh, that is in store for us, what we're hanging on to, the anchor that we've been given. That anchor, by the way, is Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews. And last week, we talked about the fact that while we are looking ahead to that hope, we are doing so faithfully. We are waiting with faith, full of faith. We're, we're faithfully waiting. We're not just sitting in our hands. We're not just hiding ourselves. We're not tucking ourselves away. We're not, we're, not, we're not sequestering ourselves, if you know what that word means, into some private little corner and waiting for this hope to be realized. We are faithfully waiting. We're, we're understanding that, that God is using us and working in us and preparing us, and we're going to even touch on that even more today, but preparing us so that we are ready when He comes, that we may be found faithful, that those words may be said to us, that we are good and faithful servants. Jesus said it's like that, right? He said it's like a man who's going on a long journey. And he asks his servants to do the jobs they're supposed to do while he's gone until he comes back. And they don't know when he's going to come. But when he comes back, he wants to find them faithful. Right? When Jesus comes back, he wants to find you faithful. The real question for us is, as we're in Advent and as we're in any part of our lives, is do we want to be found faithful? That's what the Sunday school lesson was about this morning. Do we want to be found faithful? Or do we just say we're busy doing other things? Well, this morning, we're going to add another layer to this. These are going to kind of build, and of course, they all interact with each other. You can't separate them from each other. But this morning, we're going to talk about, did I do something? What just happened there? We're going to talk about joy. I don't know what I did. There it went again, I think. I'm not touching anything anymore. It's all me now. Caleb's giving me the thing, pointing at me and saying it's for me. We are going to talk about, is it up there now? No, it's not, now Joy's not up there. We'll get there. There we go. We're going to talk about joy. We're supposed to have joy. You know, it's one thing, and I, I don't want this to be missed. It's one thing to know there's a hope we're longing for. And it's one thing to say, I'm going to be faithful while I do that. But the last thing I want to happen is for that to be some kind of drudgery. For that to be some kind of like, I've got to like, oh, just soldier on until Jesus comes and takes me home. There's joy as part of this. And we want to add this layer of joy. The Bible talks, I could not even get close to bringing all the verses and references I wanted to this morning to talk about the joy that we're to have as we are faithfully walking towards our reward. And I chose some specific ones because I want to do it specifically to recognize that that joy is not just an idea that, well, when things are going great, then I have joy. But the idea that even when God is working on me, even when God is fixing me, shaping me, putting some pressure on me, or disciplining me is what the scripture actually calls it, is disciplining me, there's joy that I still faithfully walk and follow after him looking for my reward. I still have a hope. Actually, they all go together, right? Because we're going to see these verses this morning, but Hebrews is very clear that there's actually hope given to us when God disciplines us because he's helping us to share in his holiness. I want you to see that Paul actually prayed for these kind of themes that we're talking about to be together. As he wrote the letter to the Colossians, he said, this is my prayer for you. I'm praying that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. 
Because he's the one who has given you inheritance with the saints of light. He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. But look at those words. We don't usually, let's be honest this morning, we don't usually put those words together, do we? I'm praying that you would have endurance and patience with joy, right? It's not a drudgery. Having patience is not a hard task. Faithfully serving Jesus and enduring with Jesus alongside of Jesus as he endures, as he's faithfully interceding for us, is not a, it's not a difficult thing. Jesus said those words, come to me if you're weary and burdened and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's joy to learn from the master. Well, now this morning I want you to read with me. So um, we're going to go to the Old Testament again. I've been doing this every single time. We're, we're of course, all over the Bible. But we're, we're going to go to the Old Testament again, very close to where we were last week. Isaiah chapter 35. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you have one with you. And if you have one with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 35. We're going to read through this chapter together. Now, we're going to do it kind of in chunks. But we're going to read through this chapter together and try to uncover the joy that the Bible is asking us to understand is coming, but the joy that we live in now already as we look forward to that. I love these verses. Isaiah is full of all kinds of heavy stuff. It's full of all kinds of judgment, both for the people of Israel and for the nations surrounding the people of Israel that God is using to bring correction to Israel. But in chapter 35, the the, the, the tone is changed. It's not a heavy thing. It's not a, a sorrowful thing. It's not a sad thing. You notice the times that there's going to be joyful things. There's going to be good things spoken about, things that make us glad, things that make us leap and shout and sing for joy. You're going to see those phrases. Verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And here's the line I want to focus on for this beginning till we pause for a minute. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, I don't have time this morning, and some people don't like when I do things like this. I often actually don't like doing things like this, taking a text and just sort of ripping it out of its context and saying we're going to talk about something else. So in context, the people of Israel who were in pressure and being taken away into exile and being chastised for their unfaithfulness to God, God is reminding them that if you stay faithful, there's a remnant who will experience these things. Let's, let, I just want to say that so you hear it again. You heard it in Sunday school if you are there. But hear it again, brothers and sisters, that though there were trials and though there were difficulties and there were times of exile and God was chastising them for their unfaithfulness, I believe that's the place we're currently living in, by the way, that God is chastising our nation, our culture. The pe and I don't want to be so far away. You know me. I, I want to look inside of us. I think even in our churches, I think even in our conservative Mennonite culture churches, there's places of unfaithfulness that we are experiencing the testing of God to say, where are our hearts really at? And he's saying, if you stay faithful, there's a remnant who will get to experience these things we're reading about. But I want to tie it to this verse because the joy, I want you to hear this, the joy that you and I have, it's not from having all the things we want. It's not from having a tree laden with Christmas gifts that checked off everything off of our list that says, I got everything I wanted. It's not from having our bank account securely padded. It's not from having a well-laden table with food. It's not from having security in our job. It's not from having a wonderful family that we have great times with. It's not from having 
lots of fun things we engage in. It's none of those things. The joy I want to tie to this morning is that they will see the glory of God, the majesty of God. You know what does more for our joy than anything else? is when we are in God's presence and we see how majestic and glorious he truly is. How amazing God is. If we're suffering from the doldrums, if we are unsure whether I can be happy or grateful in any kind of way, if we're not sure that there's joy in this life, I'm telling you, the answer is not getting everything you want. The answer is come into God's presence and declare the, and see the glory and majesty of who God is, and you will have no problem finding joy inside of you, because God is indeed great. God is incredible. God is majestic and amazing. I know, I know there are lots of things that can steal our joy. But in the same passage where Jesus says that he came to give life, that we may have joy, that he gave to give life abundantly, he also talks about the fact that it's because he has overcome the world. It's because he is with us, because he's giving us his peace. Jesus has a lot to do with this, and as we unfold the story of Christmas and we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby and as a risen Savior, then we understand our joy is linked to seeing the glory of the Lord, seeing the majesty of our God. I'm going to leave that there. We're going to come back and loop around to some things, but let me read now in verse 3. He says this, because of this, because of the joy that's, that, that, that we are to have, the joy that's coming when the glory of the Lord and the majesty of God is on display, that's still how we find joy now, even when we're waiting for Jesus to come. But even now, whenever, sorry, I said I'm going to leave that late, but I should make this comment. Because I think it's the thing that we get stuck in, in the everydays. The things that bring us joy are when we look to see where God's glory is even now. You know it's all around you. You know God is doing incredible things. God is just putting himself on display. Albert talked about one of them this morning, right? Actually, Les talked about one of them this morning. Several of you talked about things this morning. The glory of God is put on display all the time, and our joy even now is still fed when we see that, when we understand and say to ourselves, how majestic is God? How majestic is God? Look for those places. Anyway, verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And Isaiah gives us some wonderful pictures of what happens when God begins to touch things and begins to affect things, when his glory and his presence come into things. And he invites us to strengthen our weak hands, make our feeble knees firmer, and to say to those who are anxious in heart, to look at each other and say to those who are anxious in heart, be strong, fear not. Boy, we need that today, don't we? We need those of us who are willing to look at each other when we start going like this and like, ah, have you looked at what's happening out there? To say, be strong, fear not. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. 
I want to put this verse up here because we're going to come back to this in a little bit, but I want you to see the joy that's even here, the picture that's being painted. The lame man will leap like a deer, and the ears of the deaf, sorry, I jumped up a verse, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is what happens when Jesus comes into the story, by the way. I want to just stop for a moment. I know this is like strong language, and it goes from like here to here, and the reality is we find ourselves in the middle somewhere typically. We're usually not the lame, but we may not be the leaping like the deer. We may not be mute, but we may not be singing for joy always. But I want to stop and by faith ask us to receive the truth of the statement that this is what happens when Jesus gets involved in your story. He changes that story. He changes what was a mess into what is now not a mess. He changes what was lame into leaping like a deer. He changes what was mute into singing for joy. He changes blindness into seeing. He changes deafness into hearing. Maybe not always physically. In fact, for most of us, rarely has that been physically. But it's happened in a spiritual sense for almost all of us, I hope. If you've received Jesus, if you've truly received Jesus, that's what's happened. It's the joy that comes. Now, we actually read some of these kinds of things from Isaiah chapter 35. Now, they're not necessarily directly quoted, but we read some of these things when we read the story of the birth of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. For example, we could turn to Luke chapter 2, which is the all-familiar Christmas story. We're going to be in it uh, for several different passages on Christmas Day here in a couple weeks. But in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born... And outside the stable there, there happened to be some shepherds watching their fields, uh, watching their flocks in the fields, if I get that right. And a, an angel of the Lord shows up to them. Uh, he appears to them. The glory, look at this, the glory of the Lord shown around them. Notice, connect that back to, to, to uh, Luke, or Isaiah chapter 35. The glory of the Lord shown around them. They were filled with fear when that happened. And what did the angel say? Well, I have the verse up. I'm going to put the verse up. But what did the angel say? You know this if you know the Christmas story. What did the angel say? Fear not. What did Isaiah say? He said, when the glory of the Lord comes, then say to those who are anxious in heart, what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. And the angel came, and he said to them, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He goes on to say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that's the best news they could have heard. They may not have known that at the time, but that's the best news they could, that's the best news you can hear, by the way. It's the best news you can hear. Fear not. God has put on display this, this wonderful thing. His glory has come. I bring you good news of great joy. Why? Because God sent Jesus, and unto, this, unto you is this day, back then on that day, but unto us is born in the city of David a Savior, one who is Christ the Lord. He is a Savior for all of you. He is your Savior. Again, if I can just ask this of you, it's so easy to sit in a room, and it's so easy to be distracted by all kinds of things. It's so easy to be lost in your thoughts. It's so easy to sort of melt into a crowd. It's so easy to do all those things. Stop for a moment and receive the singular words there that Jesus was a Savior born for you. For you. Your sins needed to be forgiven, and Jesus was sent for that reason. Have you received that? Have you understood that? You know, a few uh, years after this scene when the angels came, when John the Baptist was in prison for his faith, 
We read in Matthew chapter 11 these words, that when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, came to Jesus and asked him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, like what I've been giving myself to, what I'm in prison for, are you the one or is there someone else? And Jesus answered them, and here's what he said. His disciples said, go back to John, go and tell John what you hear and see. Now notice these words that are pulled from the pages of Isaiah chapter 35 that we read. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I'm helping you to see this morning, friends, and I think you already know this, but I'm helping cement it in that the reason you have to have great joy this Christmas is because of the things we are walking through right now. The picture that Isaiah painted is the joy. This time we're going to light a pink candle. The joy is because Jesus has come and we are to look around and see what Jesus has done. Look at the results. Look at what happens when Jesus shows up. We can read the pages. You should read the pages. Look and see what happens when Jesus shows up. But don't stop with just these pages because you can read all kinds of biographies of what happens when Jesus shows up in people's lives. They trade away the riches of the world for the souls of the world. They trade away everything they could get for themselves so they could serve the one who gave everything of himself. And you keep reading those stories because you are in that story. You're part of that, of Jesus showing up and bringing joy. Tell John what you hear and see. Go tell him. Now, I came rather quickly to Jesus fulfilling this with the first coming because I have a whole lot of things I think Scripture has to fill in or tell us about the place we are in yet today as we look for the second coming of Jesus, as we are still in the season of Advent, as we are not just looking to, to, to find the hope and the faith and the joy that we want to see when Jesus came as a baby and want to celebrate this holiday season as Jesus came as a baby, but to understand we're in that place of still expectantly waiting for Jesus to come and how joy and how faithful waiting and how hope continue to have an impact or should have an impact on us. So I want to read just a bunch of scripture to you. I'll make some comments, I'm sure, because it's pretty rare that I don't. I'm going to start with going to 1 Peter, some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to these words carefully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, may you be blessed and praised. According to his great mercy... According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the hope we have. That's the power to remain faithful while we're waiting for that hope to be realized. But look at verse 6. In this you, what? In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, the genuineness of your faith, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, the advent of Jesus, when Jesus shows up, now you know what these verses say, I suspect. You may not like everything about what these verses indicate because they begin with such glorious, wonderful things that we want to stay in verse 5 and before. Blessed be God who has given us this incredible hope. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. And we are being kept by God's power until the day that we get to receive that inheritance. What amazing, incredible things. And he says, you rejoice in this. You and I rejoice in this, even though right now we may be testing, being tested some. We may be facing some trials. I'm telling you, just living life in a sin-stained world is still is living through trials, is having our faith tested. One of the questions that uh, Caleb asked us this morning in Sunday school was, what does the world offer to us that tempts us to not be faithful to God? There's all kinds of things around us, Right? There's a long list we could give. We could have spent the rest of the time had been willing to, to be honest about the things that want to draw us away. We rejoice because even though we're in a time of trial and testing, the purpose of which is to make sure that the genuineness of our faith, the sincerity, the authenticity of our faith results in the praise and glory when Jesus returns. We rejoice though we are facing some of those difficult things. Let me just keep putting some things together. James chapter 5. James now. That was Peter. James now comes and says this in James chapter 5 verse 7. He says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then what does he say? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I'm going to stop there. Now, this, these verses don't reference joy specifically or directly, but I think that's what he had in mind because he says, establish your hearts, be patient, wait for the coming of the Lord, be patient like a farmer is, but by the way, don't do it begrudgingly. Don't grumble. Don't grumble about it. The idea there is to have joy. I'm going to read for you this morning a passage that is such a powerful passage. It's a longer passage, and I wasn't sure if I should take time to read the whole thing, but every time I kept coming to see where I could try to chop it down to get to the verses I really want to say, it just kept coming back to the whole thing. So I'm just going to read for you. Um, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn there because I'm not going to put anything on the screen for it. I'm not, I just want to read it. I want you to read it with me. Hebrews chapter 12, I should give you a reference to where to turn, right? If I ask you to turn somewhere, you should know where to turn. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read for us the first, uh, let's read the first 14 verses. This for me is one of the passages that is a quintessential Bible Christian living passage. And it's one of those passages that's hard for us to chew through. It's hard for us to receive sometimes. Because it's not full of all the bubbly, like happy fun stuff, Right? It's full of the reality, but I want you to notice how the pieces of joy show up in this. The joy that we are to have as we deal with the reality of the time until Jesus has come back. Therefore, it says in verse 1, 
We have those prophets. James said we should consider the prophets. We look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're filled with all kinds of prophets, people who traded away the riches of the world for the cause of Christ. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I interrupt myself one little bit and help you to see that at some basic level, the premise of New Testament Christianity covenant relationship with God is this premise right here, that they, that God would want us to receive the same mindset that Jesus had. And that mindset's right here. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despised its shame. There are, by the way, because of our desire to not suffer and our desire to have everything we want and to fulfill our flesh, fleshly desires, there are entire groups of people who say they're believers who would say, interpret that and say, Jesus did that for us so we don't have to. The problem I have is that the book of Hebrews is filled with terms like Jesus is our chief leader. And if he makes us perfect through suffering, he actually flips it around and says if he makes us perfect through suffering, he had to do that with Jesus too. And now he leads us, he's the captain of our salvation the idea is that we are to have the same mindset, that for the joy set before us, we were willing to endure the cross. Jesus, I think, was so clear about this. It's inarguable, in my opinion. Whoever would love his life will lose it. But whoever lays down his life for my sake will find it in the end. Boy, talk about joy. And here I'm talking about all kinds of Stuff that we don't want to wrestle with, right? But I want you to hear this. This is why, I, this, is why this comes to us. I want you to hear this because surely, surely there are some of you sitting here who have done that, who have said, I will die to myself, who have said, I will endure the cross for Jesus' sake, and have discovered that somehow by some miraculous glory-working way of God, that there's joy inside of that. That, that's really what fills us and makes us more connected and more aware of God and more, I don't want to use the word happy because it's not like about happiness, but there's joy there. Anybody out there experience that? That's the, that's the premise of Scripture. The problem is most of us, too often, it looks like too big a leap and we're not willing to go there. We're not willing to endure because we think it's going to mean trading away our joy. We don't understand that that is the path to joy. We'll just fill this out. <laughs> Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son. This is a quote. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I have to go on. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, and I might add as daughters as well. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Tell me, which brings you more joy, being a true child of God or being an illegitimate one? 
Where's, where's the joy at? Which one brings you joy? And the answer is right here, because which one is the true son? The one whom the Lord disciplines because he loves him. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we re and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. No question about it. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And then look at these words. Same words we read in Isaiah 35. Same words we, we read as we go through scripture here. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I have to leave that behind because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm bringing it home that point well and I want to make sure that you see it's for the joy that's set before us that we are willing to uh, that we want to see the discipline we want to see God shaping us we want to see him knock off those edges we want our faith tested so that it can be proven to be genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed don't we we want that to be true we don't want to show up and realize that boy I really let Jesus down my faith was so shallow my faith was so almost non-existent. There's a phrase in scripture, I don't know exactly where it's at, but the phrase that, that says something about the fact that like you're saved, but just like barely by a thread, right? Like we don't, that's not what, that's not what we're aiming for, is it? We don't want to just like just barely sneak in or just barely have made it. I don't even know how that works out. That's not even theologically correct kind of statement. So please don't build your theology off of that. But we don't, my point is we don't want that, do we? I don't want that. Are you with me this morning? The joy is in allowing God to do his work in you now so that it will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Isaiah 35 because there's a section left we haven't read yet. And I want, us to, I want to get to the fact that we have some great things waiting when Jesus comes back. Look at verse 8 now in Isaiah 35. Let me just read you for you. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall be any... Sorry, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I want you to see again this morning that God does what he has done so many times in scripture as we read Isaiah 35 and we see clear indications that when Jesus came the first time this was being fulfilled the lame are walking the blind are seeing the deaf are hearing the lame are now leaping and praising God that happened in the book of Acts those things are happening when Jesus came as a fulfillment and yet when you read some of these last things you realize that there's still something coming that we're waiting for right look at this verse let it sink in because it should be talking about us when we receive Jesus the ransomed of the Lord that's us. That's the brothers and sisters. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. How? With drooping heads? With sadness? No! Come on, church, no! With singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. Look at it. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You want to read the words? Let's read the words. 
Don't sit there like bumps on a log and think this is like something that's, I don't know, I don't expect what I'm, I would expect you to do. I want you to understand what God has in store. John said this in, John, in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is where the ransom are going, friends. Prepared as a bride adored adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice saying from the throne behold the dwelling place of God is with man did I tell you what's going to bring us the greatest joy it's when God's glory is revealed and here's we're reading it right here behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away glory to God for the scene that is being painted there glory to God for the wonderful I can't even describe the, the, the incredible, majestic, earth-shattering, imagination overcoming, we cannot even fathom, wonderful scene that's being painted there. Is it not worth a few dings before we get there? Is it not worth saying no to a few things so that we get there? I think so. It's the joy that's set before us. It's the joy that we know that God is working something in us that far outweighs anything this earth has to offer to us. This, my friends, this, I should turn to see the words, but this, my friends, is why Paul writes to the Philippians. Look at those words. You read them out loud. Read them again, church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Listen, I know there's all kinds of things that probably aren't right in your life. There's all kinds of things you wish would be different. There's all kinds of things happening around you, in your family, in the culture around you, in your job. I mean, I'm just sure of it. There's so many of us sitting here this morning that I'm sure there's all kinds of places where things aren't going like you wish they would go. Amen. The battle is the Lord's. Amen. But I believe what Scripture brings to us, and especially for us who live our alive, have the, 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 the privilege of God to be alive right now, is that Jesus came once. And he changed the entire story of history. And he changed the outcome of your life that you can receive when you surrender to him and say, I need you, Jesus, because I will not make it. I need your blood to cover my sins. And when that happens and that down payment comes, the scripture refers to the Holy Spirit as a down payment for us. When that down payment comes, guaranteeing that we will have this inheritance that I read for, that brings joy to us. That allows us in the middle of, I mean, Paul was writing the Philippians with things that didn't go well for them. That allows us to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it. Again, I'm going to say it. And again, I'm going to say it. And again, I'm going to say it. I'm going to remind myself again and again and again. Strengthen those feeble knees. Make strong those hands. Lift up that head and sing for joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
<laughs> Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And you all hopefully know the next verse. But I'll read it for you because it opens up the door for next week. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you for the promises that are in scripture. I thank you for what you, Jesus, have done for us. And I just recognize that I have room in my own life for the joy of the Lord to be restored, for it to be my strength. Perhaps I'm, you're just taking my mind to where, where you want us to respond to this morning, God, and so perhaps the first place I should respond is if our joy has been stolen, one of the, one of the chief places that happens, God, is when we have sinned, when we have disobeyed you, when we have willfully chosen to not do something that you asked us to do or to do something you asked us not to do. And this morning, we want to recognize that we want to have joy because of the coming of Jesus Christ. We want to have joy as we wait expectantly for you to come, Jesus. And that means we need to be forgiven. And so if we're in that place this morning, I pray that in these moments right now, if it hasn't happened already during the sermon, in these moments right now, that we would be honest with you, that we would let the Holy Spirit have control over us, that we would surrender, that in your grace, by your, uh, your strength and ability, we would be able to look to you and say, oh, God, forgive me for and we fill in the blank. That we would be able to cry out as the psalmist did, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Make me right with you. It does me no good. In fact, it becomes a dread and a terror to me to think of the day of the Lord and the coming and the return of Christ if I'm not right with you. Thank you. And if we're being tested in these days and weeks, if there's trials that we're undergoing, if there's difficulty that we're facing, and maybe not due to our own sin, but just due to the circumstances or situations or things you and your sovereignty God allowed to happen to us, we want to be willing to let Scripture inform us this morning that there's a joy awaiting us and there's even joy in allowing you to shape us and mold us for we are being formed to have the character. That's what, that's what, that's what trials do. They, they produce character in us and that character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint us. Restore to us the joy of being your children this morning, God. Perhaps we've already received Christ, but we're just missing that joy, and I pray that you'd restore the joy to us of just of being your child. When you're a child, you love us. You love us, and when you love us, there's times when you bring discipline to us because we need it. You want us to share in your holiness. You want us to, to become like Christ. You want us to be ready when Jesus comes. We talked about that last week. You're not slow in keeping your promise, God, but you're patient. You want us to have a chance to be right with you. I pray that this season, as we think of a baby born in a manger, that it brings great joy to us because it is good news of great joy for all people, that a Savior has been born, that we would joyfully adore you, Jesus. 
But I pray that as we even look beyond the, the, that, 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 that manger scene, we look to the life that you lived, Jesus. We look to the death. And we look to the resurrection. That, that there's joy there because we recognize that there's an inheritance won for us because of what you did, Jesus. Help us to live with joy. Help there to be joy emanating from us, even when things aren't very good around us. God, I need that myself. I need to be restored in joy, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not to be fake, not to be hypocritical, but to allow you, Jesus, to truly change inside of me my perspective of what's happening and what's coming. May you be glorified in me, Jesus, I pray. I, rejoif I joyfully, I rejoice and joyfully pray your name, Jesus. Amen.